Good evening. Amen. I appreciate when the AV guys do that intentionally to wake people up. So, by the way, I just want to thank everybody again. I just want to echo what Pastor Farrell was saying. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you guys to realize this. You have been part of Bible prophecy the last three days. Amen? We're told the very special proclamation would take place in Revelation chapter 14, that the gospel would go to every nation, tribe, tongue, and what? And that includes San Francisco. Amen? And by you doing ministry, and by the way, I have some of my own church members here, the McDowells, the McPios, and Brandy, and some others who have contributed as well. And I just want to say thank you so much because every time you did ministry for Jesus, we're a step closer to the second coming. Amen? Amen. Also, um, you know, every time I've had, uh, I guess, a privilege to speak somewhere, there's always a, a special offering call that takes place prior. And so as I was sitting there, I was noting that, noticing that there was another offering call that was taking place. I want to share a very special lesson that God taught me approximately about three months ago. Three months ago. Uh, one of my friends was driving in another car um, following me, and all of a sudden the police came right behind him, pulled him over. So I pulled over to the side, and so there I waited. I was looking in the rearview mirror. And all of a sudden, the police officer walks up to me after he talks to him, and he says, you know this guy? And I said, of course I do. He's my friend. And he said, well, we're about to take the car from him. And I said, why is that? And he says, he was driving with an expired license. The car belongs to me. And I said to him, I said, officer, we're so sorry about that. We apologize. Won't happen again. We'll find somebody else to drive that car. And sure enough, my friend got into the car with me, and we had our other friend drive the other car. We got back home, and I was just furious. I was upset. I was impatient with my friend. I said, how could you have allowed this to happen? How come you didn't tell me you had an expired driver's license? The very next day, we went to the DMV. Everybody loved going to the DMV. It's a fun place. And so here they, we were. We were waiting in line. We got to the DMV, and it, sure enough, we discovered that there was an unpaid ticket on his record. And so he, he heaped up all these penalties, okay? And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this guy's never going to get his driver's license again. He's going to have to pay a whole bunch of money. And so there I was, and all of a sudden, the spirit began to convict me, help him out. And I thought to myself, he caused the problem, not me. And so they worked it out where all you needed to pay was $250 a month, okay? That was actually the, the down payment, okay? It was that big, okay? And so the spirit began to convict me. You paid this first down payment for him, $250. Yeah. And I was very frustrated, okay? I went back to the car. I was upset. I began to pray. I got on my knees and I said, Lord, if you want me to pay this $250, I need you to give me peace about this. And all of a sudden, peace began to fill my heart. I opened up the Bible and, the, and what essentially what I was getting as I was reading the book of Proverbs, God was saying, I will pay you back. So I said, okay, went back in there, paid $250. Hesitantly, Indians, we, we don't like to give our money away. And so I put down $250, okay? This is exactly how it happened. After we were done at the DMV, I went back to the church, opened up my office, there was an envelope, opened up the envelope, there was a check for $251 for me. The letter said, thank you so much for your ministry. Nobody else knew about this. 
Not only did God pay me back, but he added interest. Amen? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to understand something. You cannot outgive God. Amen? Amen? You cannot outgive God. So I really want to challenge you, although we have set a $250,000 limit, I believe God wants us to surpass that. Amen? God's going to do some powerful things. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to start with the word of prayer. Let's ask God to send the Holy Spirit. I know we prayed earlier, but let's pray again. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much, Lord, that you delight to give us the Holy Spirit. And although we have prayed earlier, we want to pray again and ask that our hearts this time would be open to the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that the Spirit of God is the greatest of all teachers and preachers. And so we pray, Lord, you would refresh our hearts, that you would lead us deeper into your mission and to your will, to where your heart really is, God. And Father, I pray by the very time we leave this meeting tonight, every person would know you are speaking to them individually. God, we ask humbly this prayer. In Jesus' holy name, amen. amen. The name of this message is entitled, Another Quake. Another Quake. 1906. Approximately 108 years. Is it 108 years ago? I think it's 108 years ago. Yes. Uh, thank you very much. 108 years ago. Okay, and seven days ago, 108 years and seven days, there was the 19, it's not the 1908, it's 1906. 1906 San Francisco earthquake took place. One of the reasons why the San Francisco earthquake was so unusual was because this is the, one of the, uh, the times that this actual natural disaster was photographed and taken all over the world. The disaster was about a 7.7 .7 earthquake, took place over 300 miles. The epicenter probably isn't too far from here. Thousands of people lost their lives. In today's standards, there was about billions, I think it was about eight to nine billions of dollars of damage. Okay? It was something quite unusual, something that really sent this reverberating, uh, you can say, effect all and shock all over the world. America was affected by this great earthquake. But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know something today. God has started another kind of shaking. And a shaking that will be felt not just by America, but by the entire world. Can you say amen to that? By the way, you know what's so interesting about uh, the Bible and something I've been learning over and over again as I've been studying and sharing with people of different faiths and backgrounds is the Bible is such a unique book. It is far different than any other book. I was speaking in Loma Linda about a few, I think it was about two months ago. And the very day that I was presenting evidence for scripture, I looked onto biblicalarchaeology.com. And you know what's so unique? They just came out with an article that very day, and it said this, 50 people confirmed in the Bible. 50 people confirmed in the Bible. Now, the reason why that's so unique is because the Bible is unlike any other book that exists. The Bible is a real book about real people who had real experiences in real locations with the real God. Amen? And so as we study God's Word today, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to realize it's more than just studying a textbook. It's going to be a living experience with Jesus, right? You know what's so remarkable? I've been studying out the book, I've been studying out the book of 2 Samuel and 2 Kings, and I've been learning about Elisha. Elisha. He's a very interesting kind of prophet. Does anybody know who was the prophet that existed before Elisha? 
Elijah, right? Those two kinds of prophets uh, were both sent by God, but their ministries were quite different. Elijah, when he showed up, very mysterious, he begins to preach a mighty message, rebuke, calling people back to the commandments of God, and all of a sudden, he disappears. Next up is Elisha, far different than Elijah. This individual was called by God, but he was quite different. He didn't stand before great kings and rebuke him. This individual began to do a very personal kind of ministry, a ministry that went into people's lives, and he began to really preach also a message of healing. Fast forward to the time of Jesus. You have a mighty prophet by the name of John the Baptist. He began to preach, cause kings to shake, and all of a sudden, beheaded. Then Jesus shows up. His message was quite distinct from John the Baptist. This individual, Jesus, when he began to preach a message, he was really encouraging people, but he was entering into the very lives of people. When you take a good look at the ministry of Jesus, what you will discover, it was a very personal kind of ministry, and it was not just a personal kind of ministry, it was a message of health. Fast forward again, ladies and gentlemen, when the early Adventist church started, a powerful proclamation of Bible prophecy and a rebuke to the Protestant world. But ladies and gentlemen, what we're beginning to discover more and more as we're getting closer and closer to the end of time, God is wanting our message to go not just from a sticking out a public sense, but going to a very personal message and a message of health and healing. And this is important for us to understand, especially with the times that we're living in. God is wanting the church to really embrace this and to go forward and share a message in a very unique way that's never been shared that way before. But it's happening more and more. God is doing remarkable things. I love this because Seventh-day Adventism used to be just a spiritual term. Now it's becoming a medical term. Amen? Amen. A medical term. Everybody, we're going to be taking a good look at the story of Elisha. Take your Bible, go to 2 Kings. 2 Kings. We're going to be looking at a very unique experience in the life of Elisha the prophet. Elisha the prophet. A few days ago, I was really praying about the message God wanted to be spoken here at ASI. He woke me up early, and he began to speak to me something so unique, I knew it was meant for this group here. We're going to 2 Kings. If you're there, go ahead and say Amen. You are faster than the pastor on this one. <laughs> we're going to 2 Kings, and we're going to start with verse 19. Verse 19. This is right after, ladies and gentlemen, Elijah was translated. Who was translated? Elijah was translated, and Elisha was now up on the scene. A different kind of leader was now set up by God. And this individual would go from revival to reformation now. A reformation. Take a good look at the very first experience that Elisha encounters with the start of his new ministry. Second, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 2. Are we all there now? This time I'm there before you guys are. Okay. 2 Kings chapter 2, starting with verse 19. Look what the Bible says right here. Then the men of the city, that's talking about the school of the prophets that was located in the city of Jericho. Don't forget that. The men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of the city is what? 
pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is what? Bad and the ground barren. Now, what is so unique about this experience is that the school of prophets, the things that were set up by previous individuals, leaders, they had set up these schools to counter it, counteract the influence of paganism, idolatry, apostasy in Israel. And so in the city of Jericho, after right around the Jordan, this school of the prophets was set up and they were trying to counteract the influences that were there. Remarkably, what Jericho was known for in the past, it was known for what, ladies and gentlemen? What, do you, what was Jericho known for? The walls. That's exactly right, right? You know what we're told in the spirit of prophecy? That when the children of Israel actually began to conquer the land of Canaan, the city, get, get, this is what she says right here, the city of Jericho was the vilest of all the cities there. The vilest. It was the worst city in the land of Canaan. You know what's interesting is that the very person who was saved from Jericho, what was her name? Rahab. Rahab. Did you know that in Jericho, what scholars have discovered is that two kinds of practices were very prevalent in the city of Jericho. Ritual prostitution and child sacrifice. Ritual prostitution and what? Child sacrifice. By the way, who was the person that was saved from Jericho? Did Rahab have a child in Jericho, yes or no? No, because it was the children of these prostitutes that were oftentimes sacrificed. Did you know Rahab finally had a child when she left Jericho? And do you know what that child's name was? Boaz. By the way, you want to know why Boaz was attracted to Ruth? What was Ruth? She was a Moabite that was living with Israelites. And what was Boaz's mom? She was a Canaanite that was living in... It's true what they say. Men marry their moms. But what is so interesting, when you take a good look at the life of Boaz and the life of Ruth, what you begin to discover in the genealogy is that they would be part of the ancestry of who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. She was the only one that was saved. Her and her family were the only ones that were saved from the city of Jericho. The whole city was vile. It had a lot of problems, idolatry and practices that were crying up over and over again to heaven. And so here this city is. After it is destroyed by God, Joshua in the book of Joshua does something very interesting when Jericho was reduced to rubble. He then places a curse upon the city. He places a curse upon the city. And he says, cursed is the man that rebuilds this city. The city was so vile, had a reputation. And because of its sin, this curse was levied. And sure enough, there was a king who attempted to rebuild that, and he did so at a great cost. However, we're told that the curse of the land still rested during the time of Elisha. It affected the environment, the territory itself, because of the degradation. And so in this particular experience, Elisha comes on the scene, and there he's at this city that has a known reputation, a past that is scandalous. And he's there. And the men say to him, hey, look, the city has good potential, but the problem is the water is bad. And if the water is bad, what does that mean? Nothing will grow. 
and if nothing won't grow, you know what's going to happen? You can't live there very long. So here's Elisha's situation. He's coming into this experience. He's dealing with the city that has this past, that has this vile reputation, a curse that was laid upon this city, the worst city. Can you imagine this? The worst city in the land of Canaan, Jericho. The school of the prophets was set up there. And they said, yeah, this is a good city. The problem is the water is bad. Take a good look at what happens next. This is very interesting. Verse 20. And he said, bring me a new what? Bowl, or it says in King James, cruise, and put what in it? Salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the what? Salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this, what? Water from it, there shall be no more, what? Death or what? Barrenness. Now notice what the scripture says. So the water remains healed to this day according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. And by the way, that land today is seen as a rich agriculture area still to this day. That spring is still being used to this day. What is so remarkable is God took this city that seemed condemned to destruction and he transformed it. Now, I know most people have probably written off this city. No hope. The city, it's too far gone. The situation here Oh, there's potential, but the problem is there's so much wrong and evil taking place here. But you know what God loves to do, ladies and gentlemen? God loves to take the worst places, and he loves to make it a place of praise. Amen? And so as I was reading this, it was dawning on me more and more. Wait a minute. What if I have written off the city of San Francisco? I've said to myself, wait a minute, there's too much problems here. There's too much wrong here. It just won't work. How could this city be a city of light? But ladies and gentlemen, I want you to realize something. The very fact, the very fact, God was able to transform Jericho. And by the way, when you read the ministry of Christ, he himself went into Jericho multiple times. He changed that city. And God is able to do the same. Now we say, wait a minute, I've read things about judgments. I've read things about how judgments are going to fall upon cities. Ladies and gentlemen, have you not read the Old Testament? Have you not read when Jonah went to the land of the Ninevites and told them this city is going to be destroyed? But the people repented. This is extremely important because I believe God is trying to communicate a message of hope and possibilities to us. Just like Mary Magdalene, where the rest of the world saw hopelessness, God says, wait a minute, there's something else that could be done. And by the way, do you know who was the very first person uh, Jesus appeared to after his resurrection? I just gave you the answer. It's Mary, right? But this is important. I preached on this two uh, Sabbaths ago. I call it the CSI of the resurrection. You know what's so remarkable about this story? 
The Bible says that Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he cast what? Seven demons. In other words, she became the perfect habitation of the devil himself. Jesus could have appeared to his disciples. They were discouraged. They were going to be the early church. He could have appeared to Peter. Peter was going to be the first pope. Is that true? No, right? Just got to throw that jab in there. Sorry about that. So here's the thing. He could have appeared to any of those, right? By the way, I just want to say this for those people who are listening online. I did not really mean that. Okay, very good. He could have said that. He could have appeared to his disciples. He could have appeared. Now, this is amazing. This blew my, way, blew my mind away when I began to realize this. He could have appeared to Peter or Thomas or some of the leaders of his church. But even before he would appear to them, he appeared to who? Oh, you haven't got this yet. Even before he appeared to his father, he went to Mary Magdalene. Do you know, instead of going straight up to heaven and there, I mean, just imagine uh, just being on this, well, you are on this planet, this sinful planet, right? Resurrecting, right? You would be like, okay, I just want to get back to heaven. Get right back in the Father's presence, just separated from, but instead he places a priority on appearing to Mary Magdalene, out of whom was cast seven demons. Which tells us, ladies and gentlemen, where we see hopelessness, God sees hope. Can you say amen to that? And just like this city, the city of Jericho that seemed hopeless to the rest of the world, God had a plan. Elijah had the answer. God gave it to him. Go to the very source of where the problem is. Go to the very source. And then he says, give me a new bowl. Fill it with salt. So he fills it with salt and he begins to pour it in. And all of a sudden, some, through some supernatural means, the river, the stream began to be clean again and good, which meant crops could be formed, which meant that school of prophets could grow, which meant so many different things, ladies and gentlemen. But I want you to recognize this, where what we have deemed hopeless, God still sees hope and possibility. Amen? But there are two things we need to understand from this story. Two things. Two things God is trying to teach us about our own ministry and how we can effectively work for this great city. And that is this. Jesus said, borrowing from this Old Testament story, you are the salt of the what? World. You are the salt of the world or the salt of the earth. God is calling us to be salt. And like salt, when you add salt to food, it infuses, it penetrates, and it makes bland food taste wetter, better. In India, Jesus would have said, you are the spice of the world. Spice makes Indian food taste good. That's our salt. But, yeah, curry, amen. And so, but in this particular... <laughs> All right, we're done with the Indian part, okay. But in this particular situation, Jesus says what? You are the salt of the world. What God is calling us and he's challenging us on, he wants us to engage more into personal ministry, one-on-one -on -one ministry. We're told that it's not masses that are going to be saved. It's individual after individual after individual that is going to be saved. 
God is calling us, just like the ministry of Elisha, just like the ministry of Christ, and just like what's been told of us, our ministry needs to become more and more functional and aim towards more of a personal kind of ministry. Amen. God wants us to embrace this. We are called to be in the midst of people. Oftentimes, we're fearful and we want to run the opposite way. But God wants us to preach a message by our life and love. By the way, I'm going to ask a question right now. I wasn't going to do this, but I thought now it's the time to do this. How many people here could probably give me a Bible study on the Sabbath? Raise your hand if you think you can do that. Not even a Bible study. How many people here think they could witness to me about the Sabbath? Raise your hand. Ah, that's pretty good. Three, four, five of you. Okay. How many people could give me a, a, a witnessing lesson on the state of the dead? Raise your hand. I mean, you can witness to me. You can actually somewhat explain it to me. Ah, oh, okay, pretty decent. Okay. How many of you could at least try to share some things about the Bible with me? Okay, a little bit more, all right? Pretty good, right? That's what I expected from when I was saying the same thing to my church. Pretty good. Who wants to take a challenge right now? Who's willing to witness to me about the Bible? I want you to raise your hand. Okay. Anybody else? Okay, we have a few females. We're the men. All right, we got a male over there. I want you to come up to the front. You didn't expect this. All right. Oh, we got two. All right. Oh, pretty good. All right. We're going to do some personal ministry here, ain't we? All right, why don't you guys come up to the front? There you go. That's personal ministry. Amazing. All right. Amen. 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 All right. Pretty good, right? All right. I want you to tell me why I should believe in the Bible. You got 15 seconds. Go. You should believe in the Bible because you have nothing else better in terms of where you came from to explain to me. Okay. All right. Keep going. <laughs> if you want me to show you where you came from, I can start in the very first book of the Bible. Go ahead. I can start in the very first book of the Bible to help explain where you came from. Oh, where I came from. Okay, very good. Good. Pretty good. Can you tell me about the Sabbath? Yes, I can tell you about the Sabbath. Go for it. Uh, the Sabbath is the seven-day God have rest from being, well, from creating the world. Okay. The Sabbath is the holy day of God. He has separated and made it holy unto itself. Good. Amen. Amen. All right. Pretty good. Could you give, tell me a little bit about the state of the dead? Death is like a sleep. Okay. Could you actually stop right there? Yes, sir. All right. We're going to attempt this. Hang on. You can keep telling me about the state of the dead. I'd appreciate it. Go ahead. Is there anything specific that you want to know? You tell me. <laughs> Go ahead. By the way, the tie is clean. Thank you. Except for the part around his neck. <laughs> Go ahead. Go for it. Tell you about the state of the day. Oh, he's so good. Okay. Hold on a second. 
<laughs> okay, let's lift up your mouth. Open up wide. Okay, very good. Oh, you wait till the lesson comes. All right. I want you to explain very clearly to me about the state of the dead. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't really understand you right now. Go ahead. I don't know what he's saying right now. Can I show you? I'm illustrating a point right now. We have preached an Adventism with our words, but we have failed to do it with our actions. Most of us can tell people about the Bible. Most of us know how to share doctrine, but when it actually comes to living out the message, how many of you could speak clearly to somebody about that through your life? Ladies and gentlemen, what God is calling us, you can take the tie off now if you want, okay. I appreciate that, brother. You're welcome. Thank you very much, by the way. Amen, I appreciate you guys volunteering for this. Thank you. Thank you. But seriously, this is the point God is trying to communicate. We have done so well with our words, with our lips. We are the best kinds of evangelists in the world. We know how to share Bible prophecy through our words, but our actions have failed in this matter. You see, what God is calling us to do like never before is to be like Saul and to enter into people's lives and to keep loving them even though there are differences there and live out your lifestyle. And as you do that, that's going to have a powerful, convicting sense or presence to them. God is calling us like never before to be like salt, to infuse into people's experiences, to be upon, be with them. Like the Bible says about Jesus, the word became flesh and what? Dwelt among men. Jesus entered into the very heart of mankind, ladies and gentlemen. And by the way, when you just think about this, you think about Joseph and Mary. They were just told that they're going to give birth to the Messiah. You can imagine all the thoughts that might be going through their mind. But you know what happens? As soon as they're told the Messiah would be born, Joseph has to leave the area. They don't have a place for the, for the mother to give birth. They give birth in a stable, but even after that, the king is trying to kill them. When Jesus entered into the very heart of humanity, he entered into humanity's troublesome experiences. And God is calling us to be like salt, to add flavor. Jesus also adds one more thing in the Gospel of Matthew when he says, you are the salt. He says, you are the light of the world. You know what's so amazing about light? Salt is more internal, light is more external. When Jesus was saying, you are the light of the world, what he was trying to communicate was this, that you are called to be healthy environment to people. And you know what happens in a healthy environment? Things begin to grow. Amen. Amen? Things begin to grow. I was trying to teach my church, it's not just about witnessing. You are called to be healthy environment to people. And when you're around healthy people, you know what starts taking place? You start having spiritual growth again. Jesus is calling us to be salt, to be light to people. That as we enter into circumstances and situations and the people of San Francisco, we're going to see remarkable growth. Things that we might have deemed hopeless in the past. God wants to do this thing. 
in our lives. God is trying to communicate something so powerful to us. And that is this, salt. We are called to be salt. And just like that, salt was taken to the source where the water was the most bad and placed there. All of a sudden, purification began to take place. And then the stream itself began to change. Can you imagine the potential that would take place? God has not called us to forsake this city. He has called us to embrace it, to confront it, and to share the beautiful message of God's redeeming love. Amen? But not just being salt. God calls us to share the beautiful message of health and healing. Amen? The Bible says a faithful ambassador brings health. We're called to share a beautiful message. By the way, as being a Seventh-day Adventist minister, I work the health message. I mean, I really work it. I always go to people and I always try to get them. And by the way, right now there's a real craze about health. People are into diets. People are into fads. People are into exercise programs. People are into running. Everyone's interested in health. And so this message is super relevant. And God wants us to share in the most practical ways with people. You know what's so amazing is that Seventh-day Adventists are obviously some of the longest living people in the world. I tried to meet Marge. You guys know who Marge is, right? She passed away actually not too long ago. I was in Loma Linda. I didn't get to meet her. I wanted to meet her. And uh, it w- it's very interesting because when you go back to the Old Testament story of when Jacob as an old man goes before Pharaoh. Joseph brings him before Pharaoh. And do you remember the very first thing Pharaoh says to Jacob? He says what? How old are you? You want to know why? Egyptians never lived that long. They never lived that long. And he was quite shocked that you had this old man who was that old and was still coming before him. And the Bible even says he blessed Pharaoh. And so when people are seeing you, they're going to start asking the question, how old are you? Because they're surprised by the benefits of health. One day I was playing basketball with some friends, about 30-year-old friends. And one of our other friends who's not Adventist came in there and he's playing basketball and he's like, he's like, how old is everybody here? And I go, I don't know, 30, 28, 30? He's like, they all look like they're 16 years old. It's so remarkable when you begin to realize that this advantage God has given to us, He wants us to use it more and more in the most practical ways. I was at Jamba Juice, I was talking to this lady who just came out of the gym, and I was trying to invite her to a health fair, and she says, I don't want to go to health fair, I work out, I'm okay. I said, do you want to know who the longest living people are in the world? She's like, who? I'm like, come to the health fair. (laughs) God calls us to work it, amen? Not because we're better than anybody, but to use that as an entering wedge to talk to people. It's so remarkable. We have cooking schools at my church. We do health fairs at our church. I came in two weeks ago to my church mumbling to myself. I was mumbling to myself, why are there not more Indian people in our church? I was really doing that. Because we have a large Indian population in the city of Ceres and Modesto. And I'm Indian. There's hardly any Indian people in my church. So I was mumbling to myself and I was just like, why isn't there Indian people? God's not helping me do this. I walk into the church. We have an exercise class at our church. And there was a Sikh lady there. Somebody who actually came to one of our previously, uh, previous cooking classes. She's not Christian, but she's Sikh. And so I started talking to her afterwards. I said, can I show you the church? I started showing her the church. 
And she was like, oh, this is very interesting. She's like, yeah, I'm not like my husband. I'm a little bit more open-minded about these things. That's what she said to me. And she says, I really appreciate your cooking schools. I said, really? She's like, yes, I'm a vegetarian, but I try to teach my children about good health, my grandchildren about good health, okay? So I'm thinking to myself, how in the world am I going to get her into the church? The Lord gave me an idea. I said, would you ever present at our cooking class and teach people how to make vegetarian Indian food? You know what she says to me? She says, I'd be all about that. But little does this woman know what's going to be taking place. One way or the other, we're going to get them in. Amen? See, God calls us to do this. It's an entry wedge. And we can use it in the most remarkable ways to win people. You know what's so interesting? I, I mean, I work the health message, okay? I work it. I mean, I really work it. And even when I'm being hypocritical about it, like some of you as well. <laughs> one day, one day, when I was youth pastoring in Arroyo Grande, I was really on the stint to working out and trying to gain weight. Vegetarian, I grew up that way. And I was like, oh, I am so hungry. It was 11 p.m. at night. In Royal Grande, everything closed around 9 p.m. except for a fast food restaurant called Jack in the Box. Yes. And so I thought, okay, you know what? I'm hungry. It's going to be okay once. Okay, this is not about my standards right now, okay? So I went into this. Got onto the, the, pulled up in the drive-thru, and I was like, I was like, yeah, I'd like to get a, a hamburger, no meat, can you add a hash brown patty instead? <laughs> and so I'm saying it, trying to articulate these directions, and all of a sudden the mic goes, I'm sorry, we don't know what you're saying, can you please go up to the front? <laughs> and so I said, okay, I pulled up, I pulled up, this is 11 o'clock at night. And you know what the person says to me? They said, wait, what are you ordering? And I said this, I remember the exact conversation. I said, I'm a vegetarian, I don't eat meat, so I'm trying to replace the meat with something else. Hash brown patties. Okay, let's keep going, okay. This was his words to me. This is exactly how it went. He said, what's a vegetarian? You may laugh because you've heard it your entire life. This kid was about 22 years old. And I said, as, as soon as I was hearing that, and by the way, I, I, want, I want to train you guys this. Anytime you see an opening, red light should go off in your brain. Woo! It's, it's witnessing time, right? And so I said to him, throwing out my witnessing lines, I said to him, did you know Adam and Eve were vegetarians in the Garden of Eden? And you know what he says to me? You ready for this? He said, I used to go to church. I immediately picked up what the real issue was. I could tell he was gay. And as soon as he said that, I used to go to church 
he just looked down at me and he said, I used to go to church. And I started picking up on the situation very quickly, what might have taken place. And I said, brother, I want you to know something. God loves you. And he looked up and he had a smile on his face. And then as we were talking, and I was still trying to explain how to make the sandwich to him. I said, I have some DVDs for you. It, there's this Amazing Facts DVD, it's on Final Events. I was trying to find what I had at Final Events. And I said, hey, would you ever look at this? He's like, yeah. And so I gave it to him. And then I said, hey, you know, I have some cool studies on the Bible. Would you ever be interested in that? He's like, yeah. It was so funny, I met him and he had all his gay friends with him. And uh, I gave him all literature, they all took it up. And he's like, here's my friend, I want you to meet him. I met him in a drive-thru, he's a vegetarian. And so I was passing out this literature and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this would never have taken place in a church. Never. God wants us to employ what he has given to us. Amen? And we're to find avenues to every person. I appreciate and I praise God that the, the gospel we believe in is a gospel that loves every kind of person. Right? But it's not an incomplete gospel because that gospel also changes people into God's image. Amen? The same God who said, neither do I condemn you, also said, go and sin no more. And as we share the beautiful message of God's love, what we're going to discover through the avenues He has given to us, that every person can be a potential candidate for the kingdom. Amen? Amen? God wants us to realize this. Like Ellen White says, she says, there is a, these are her words, a glorious day before the church. A glorious day before the church. If she will put on the righteousness of Christ, God will do amazing things. See, we've already prophesied, oh yeah, we're coming down to the end. There's going to be a lot of bad stuff. Judgment's over here. And in the midst of all the stuff that's going to happen, we're missing all the beautiful things God is going to be doing. And God wants us to recognize this because that's where I want to be, amen? I want to be where God's at. I want to be doing what God's called me to do. I want to be what God has called me to be. And that is salt and light to this world. God has called us not to abandon the city, but to evangelize it in an even greater way. To share the beautiful message of health and healing and God's love. And what we will find out is that people who we had labeled hopeless and unchangeable, a city that we thought, oh yeah, doomed to destruction, could become a light in this world. All things are possible with Him. Amen? All things are possible with Him. God is wanting to use you. He's wanting to use you like never before. And there's never a greater time in which God was wanting to do powerful things for His people. We're coming down to the end. We're coming down right to the end. I appreciate what our sister said earlier, over time. And God is calling for people who are willing to be surrendered and open to His Spirit. Willing to be used by Him. To be excited and joyful about sharing the good news. And as you do this more and more, what you're going to discover is powerful things will happen. Powerful things will take place. The things that we have heard in prophecy for many years, we will begin to see with our own eyes. 
and marvel, for God will do a work that has not been done before. God is wanting to use you, ladies and gentlemen. He is wanting to use you. You know where the best kinds of salt comes from in India? It comes from the ocean. The water gives the salt. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants to transform us and refresh us and utilize us in His army. Amazing things have taken place the last few days. But as any evangelist knows, the most important work has just begun. I invite our sister up. She's going to be sharing a very special music. And as this song is being sung, open up your heart to God. See what God is saying and accept that. Take the counsel of God to your heart and the challenge of God to you. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.